I've been asked to speak on this topic this morning, the Great Commission, because the Great Commission is something that was given to us by Christ, it was given to the disciples, um, but it's a message for us all. And it challenges us, of course, because it asks us to speak of God, to, to spread a message that we have within us, because, of course, it comes from that point of transformation that we all have gone through to get to this point. Um, so this morning is entitled The Great Commission. Um, and before we read the scripture that, that's in the Bible about this, a little bit of context, I guess, um, for the disciples, because they'd gone through a period of life where they'd encountered Christ um, and they'd become followers of this Christ for a period of years, three years approximately. Through that time, they'd followed Christ. They'd seen the miraculous things that Christ had done. And then Christ started to talk about the end of his life something that they didn't quite understand at the time, and he spoke of this a number of times through Scripture, and then he was crucified, and he'd gone. So somebody that they'd followed for three years suddenly disappeared, and it must have put them in a a fairly challenging position, I would imagine, in terms of what have we done, what's happened here? The last three years of our lives, we've followed this guy, we've believed in him, we've believed in the messages that he was speaking of, but this wasn't the way we were expecting it to end. And then, of course, he, he reappeared to, um, to Mary initially in, in Matthew's gospel, which is where the scripture is taken from. Um, and Mary then was, was sent to the disciples with a message And the message was that Christ had risen, had reappeared to her, and that they were to meet Christ once again. Um, And we'll read the scripture now, if you can put it up, please, Rach. There we go. This is Matthew 28, 16 to 20. This version's from the message. Um, I like the message at the moment. You go through times, don't you, when you read different scriptures and Uh, I like the message. I think it's this articulation of words, and I think the message is a very easy way of understanding at times. But this is what was given to the disciples. So this is what Christ said. Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. The mountain they saw, the moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of age. So Christ come back to see the disciples, which in itself must have been some experience. You know, we talk of the presence of God 
Um, and we've experienced it again here this morning, and, and it is overwhelming. They have witnessed in physical reincarnation Christ once again in front of them with their own eyes and with their own ears. They've had a message from this risen Christ. What a time that must have been to have that. Um, but the message was a command, essentially. It was a commission, as it says. Um, and it's, it's an instruction to do something. It's kind of a call to action, if you like, this commission. So you go through a transformation within yourself, which is what the disciples did. Go back the three years. Christ called them to follow, and they followed. But they... they as they followed, they encountered Christ. They learned from Christ. But Christ was always the leader of the group. And then Christ goes. Christ then returns to them and gives them an instruction to continue, if you like, with this message. And it crystallizes, of course, what Christ's life was about. That's what the commission is. To spread the message, to spread what we call the gospel. But when you become a Christian... And you go through that transformation within yourself. It's a very personal experience. Um, it's something that is deeply personal. And then you suddenly discover that Christ expects you to tell other people about this event that we've gone through. That it's not something to be hidden away, but it's something to be shared. Which is in itself a challenge, let's be honest. To speak of Christ. To have, as I said earlier, the words to be able to articulate what we believe and more than that because there's a purpose of course to this commission and we're all here today or those of us that are followers of Christ um, because somebody else spoke of Christ somebody else lived in such a way that it intrigued us at some point in our lives as to why things were being said why people's actions were the way that they were but it is a challenge when it first happens and you first realize. And I can still remember back now telling my friends the first time that I'd become a Christian, that I'd suddenly decided to follow Jesus. And all the, th the thoughts that go on in your head before you do that as to what people will think of you, of course. Um, it's a, a challenging moment, but this is what we're asked to do, of course. Um, so my first point when we get this and it's not easy to do this always, but I've put it up anyway. And the first point is, don't hold back. In that scripture that we've just read, um, some of the words that Matthew quotes are as follows. And when you think about the songs we, we worship on a Sunday morning, they very often include these words. Totally. Everyone. All. Now those words are all encapsulating. They don't eliminate or exclude. They are challenging words. They demand of us everything, totally immersed within something. And that's the message of Christ, of course. You can't have this message within yourself easily and articulate it to other people without a conviction to follow wholly, to do things with with true conviction, with true belief in what we do. Of course, we have to have faith to do that. And it's a risk to do it because we understand that people will look at us differently. They may think of us um, 
in terms of, well, are we truthful in what we do? Do we follow Christ as we say we do? You know, you, you, you can speak well of something, but then do you follow it up? But a boldness is needed at times to do this. To get a boldness, you need a spark within you. And the spark, of course, comes from Christ. It comes from the spirit that lives within us. And it's that engagement with the spiritual side of ourselves that allows this to happen. Because to do this, we have to come away from this emotional self. Because if we don't, we'll always live in fear of what people might say or think about how we are, about what we do. And we all know what the world will say to us at times. So overcome that within yourselves. Live for Christ through the Spirit. Allow Him to guide us. Have the conviction that He will give us the words. So that when you come here and you think, how on earth can I articulate to you lot what I want to say about the Great Commission? Have faith that God will give you words. That He will give you who you are as a person. And that you trust and have confidence that He will do that with you. And not live in shame. Not live with fear within yourself. Not with a, with a sense of embarrassment, because of course they're the human qualities. That's the flesh speaking, and we're, we're, we're beyond that with Christ. We have a conviction to speak of somebody that is beyond that. Yes, Christ lived as a man, but Christ was the Son of God, and that's the message that we're, we're trying to speak of with people. So it's, it is challenging, but the spiritual side of us allows it to happen. When I used to play football years and years ago, um, I probably had a certain lack of belief in my own ability. And when I used to go out and play football, sometimes the manager who watched me play realized I wasn't fulfilling the potential that I had within me. And he used to ask me, what's the matter? Why, won't you, 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 um, why don't you rise to the challenge, if you like? And I had a sense of, um, probably a sense that I wasn't as good as the players I was watching around me. And one time he gave me a kick up the backside and he said, you can go out and do this. You can be as good as those people, but you have to have that belief within yourself. Sometimes you do need a kick up the backside to believe in yourself, to have that conviction that you are good enough, that you have a message to speak of, that what people out there are perceived to be, it doesn't matter to you because your relationship is with Christ and that's all that matters to us. I also think of the Hulk sometimes for some reason. You know when the Hulk used to say, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Our conversion to Christianity should make us angry at times because some of the things that we see in the world, some of the injustice should create that anger within us. We should turn green at what we see. Seriously. And we should act upon it. If we turn away from it, we're not fulfilling Christ's purpose within us. And, and, and there was a, I don't know if you remember that when I was young watching the Hulk and the guy that played the Hulk, he, he turned away from things often because he didn't want to go into the world of the Hulk because he was in a comfortable place where he was. It was secure and he could control his life. And that's how we are sometimes. We fear stretching beyond the known and we want to stay in that comfort zone and we see things and we turn away from them. It's like the story of the Good Samaritan. If you turn away from it and walk across the other side of the road, you will never influence, but you will remain secure in your comfortable position. If you see injustice in the world, 
You have to get angry. You have to split the size of your trousers and your top, if you like, and do something about it without consideration for self as well. This message isn't about self. The Great Commission is to tell others. So it's, it's not a personal message. It's living for others. It's doing this for other people. And whatever consequences there may be, so be it to ourselves. And that's how the Hulk used to end up, didn't he? He'd wake up and his trousers were split and there was carnage everywhere. But something had happened in his life, and his world. And that's what happens if we can do that and we can, we can make a difference. We've seen kids come here on a Friday night, Rob, haven't we? And we've sometimes seen carnage at the end of it. We have seen carnage. But we've done something. We've convicted ourselves to speak of Christ, to act out this message of Christ. And, and the kernel of truth that's within what's been spoken of there is living within those lives now. So the mess exists, we clean the mess up, but the purpose is to tell the story, to speak of the gospel. Always, don't hold back. Be yourself and don't worry. Again, you, you, you put yourself in a position of exposure when you stand and speak of what you believe in. I'm doing it this morning, you know, that all your faces are looking at me. It's easy to t- cringe away from this and not, not want to do it. And it's the same in a one-to-one conversation. But you have to have confidence in yourself because God made you. 1 Corinthians 1.17, um, the words of Paul speak like this. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. But this is the bit that matters to me. He says, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, sometimes we can refrain from speaking and from action because we think we're unprepared. We think we're um, inexperienced. We think we're not wise enough. We think we're not eloquent enough. We haven't prepared ourselves long enough. We haven't the right words That's devaluing Christ because, of course, Christ living within us takes over. And it's Christ that acts out these messages and Christ that speaks and works through us. And that's what Paul's saying there. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's not about what we say. It's not about being able to articulate in a very clever way through words. It's about people seeing the depth of Christ within you, within your actions, And within your words, that's what matters. People hear the spoken word, but people react to the experience of an engagement with another human. And when they see another human's life full of conviction and action and change, that's what inspires people to question themselves and who they are. So don't diminish Christ. They're not our words anyway. They're all from him. Not all of us are great orators or great performers, but we can all be servants of Christ. So don't diminish yourself and think, I can't do it. I can't speak with wisdom. It's not the words that matter. It's the message that you carry. Be yourself. Trust in the power of the cross. Now, the the disciples, when they went to that mountaintop, They may not even have believed what Mary was telling them, that she'd seen the risen Christ. And then they got there, and there he is. 
That's the power of the cross. The message that we carry is of a resurrected Christ. You know, the message in itself carries enough weight. We don't have to worry about diminishing. I don't know how we think we can speak of such a message without it having value. You know, I, I want to tell a story about a, a man who came to light, came to earth, died and rose again. In itself, it carries power. It carries intrigue because of what it is. And then people say, what, what do you mean? The resurrected Christ. You know, the God of all creation came to earth, lived on this earth, gave us a message, gave us a way to live, and then rose again and spoke of overcoming sin through what he did. That's a powerful message. You know, how can we diminish that? How can we worry that that won't be a powerful message to people? Because we draw back into ourselves and we worry that people dismiss it, dismiss it, that they'll diminish the word, that they won't like us because of the word. But in, in itself, it is a powerful message, one full of conviction. Point two, be undeterred. You've been commissioned. But the point I've come up with here, um, I think he says that, yeah, is commissioned to make, not to go. Now, the reason I put that is because when I became a Christian and, and, and you go through that experience, you then still have a very great sense of who you are as a person. And in yourself, you tend to expect things, events to occur again and again. Um, and initially, I was waiting for the big change, if you like, before I would go and do anything, before I would, if you like, speak of Christ. Um, so you sit in waiting, thinking, where am I going to go? What are we going to do next? Let's go to Africa. Let's go to, um, to London and, and start a church plant or something there. And too often we can wait for another event in our lives. And actually, when I looked this up, there's a, a slight, I guess, misunderstanding, as we often have with words again, in that... I'll read this out to you as I've written it. We often focus on the word go as this is the verb or doing word. Remember that when you're at school, the verb, the doing word, which we feel creates the active momentum in us, particularly those of us who feel that we need a change of direction. Now, we often do, don't we? We often think, I need to change something. We pray to God, and then we wait for a change to happen. So we're going this way. We wait for God to give us a sign to begin to go this way. This, in many ways, is self-centered. Because it's drawing back to God. I want to see something different in my life. The, 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 the accurate Greek translation of this wording, actually, using the correct tense is, this is what Christ said, therefore, as you're going. So the correct translation never was to say go. It was to say as you're going. Now, life, as we know, is a continual journey. We're all going. We're going somewhere now. We may not feel we're going to fulfill our destiny in our worldly sense, but we are going. We will always travel. We travel through time, through our lives. We all say, don't we? We can't believe it's August already. 
Time moves on so quickly. We are on this journey and we have no, we shouldn't waste time. So as we're going, we're called to make or to train as it says. So I think the important part of this message isn't to go, which is what often we want to do. And as a church, we've prayed and sought ways in which we can engage with ministry and, if you like, go. And then in recent times, we've realized that a lot of the ministry that we have available to us is here. We've seen a number of events this last few months where we've engaged with the local community. And we've realized that we were going anyway. And the important thing was to when, that when we had the experience and the opportunity to engage with people, that we make something of them, that we train them, that we share those words that we talk about with regards to the commission. So don't focus upon the need to go somewhere. Focus upon the need to train, to engage, to make, if you like, make disciples of all men. Now, the other thing with all men, of course, is sometimes we're challenged by some people, aren't we, more than others. And there's some that we might think, I can remember going back to this definitely when I was a first Christian, they'll be an easy target. I can speak to them because they'll listen to me, but I don't speak to them because I know what they're like. They'll challenge, they'll confront, they won't want to talk to me anymore. Now, Christ doesn't say that. Christ says, all men. That means everybody that we encounter. So we, what, what, what is it for us to preclude some people from hearing about God? Because within ourselves, we think either they're going to challenge us, or they're not in a place where God is going to get to know them yet. How dare we think like that? You know, if man hadn't constantly asked me, to, to attend Alpha groups, if she'd precluded me from those conversations, then I probably wouldn't have become a Christian when I did. But it's easy to do with people and to leave them aside. We'll deal with them later. We'll speak with them later. The message is for all, no matter where you are, no matter who you're with. You've been empowered to show others the way of life. But to do it, you've got to do two things. You've got to lead by example. No matter how hard that is, no matter how challenging that is to yourself, you lead this message by example. It comes back again to an ability to articulate with words, which we tend to think is the way in which people will be convinced of our message, which isn't what Christ wants. We live this message through how we act out our, our lives, who we are as people. And lead others, whomever they may be. Remember, all people. Now, there's, a, there's another scripture that says, cast your face like flint. And sometimes that's difficult to do because the world challenges what we say. People speak back, don't they? And they can argue. They can, as I said earlier, they can diminish the word. This isn't an easy message to give because... Somebody out there or something out there doesn't want this message that we have to be spoken of. We have to live in that reality that we are here today. We are blessed to have got to know Christ. I feel that every day that I'm blessed that God spoke to me and I was willing to accept that message in my life. But that raises a consciousness within us that there are many people that don't live in that place. And there's a Another force, of course, within this world that we don't speak of a lot, 
the devil because the devil exists. It's, he's quoted in the Bible and the devil will do everything that he can to prevent people coming to Christ. You know, it's not an easy ride to do this. So when you speak, the, the, the words that you give to other people, people will kick back. People will try and prevent or the devil will try and prevent and get in the way. People will say you're naive. People will say your faith is, is gullible. People will say you're soft. Part of the God squad. Goody two-shoes. That's what people think, don't they, in society. People see Christianity often that way. And it, it, it can make us feel, okay, I'm not going to go there again. That person now is not part of the all. That person's excluded from that. And we're going to leave them alone. They make you feel different. You can feel inadequate, often isolated. So often when I first became a Christian, I felt isolated from the previous friendship groups that I had because I was no longer quite part of the same circle that I was before. You can lack the words that you need. You can feel not spiritual enough. I can't speak of Christ yet because I don't have the spiritual growth within me to do so. That's nonsense. The minute you get to know Christ, you are filled with the power of Christ. You're immersed in his presence. You don't have to worry about these things, but they will exist in your life. The most difficult one is isolation, I think, not feeling part of a gang. And we're great here on a Sunday morning because we're all like-minded people. Is anybody going to challenge what I say this morning? Probably not. Um, other than the theology of it, which I always worry about, but there you go. But out in the world, there are plenty of people ready to challenge you. And therefore, you can feel isolated. And you can feel not part of the group. And we see this with, with younger people, particularly peer pressure comes into life. And the challenge is there to diminish their faith, to fit in, because they don't want to feel, they don't want to put their head above the parapet and say something contradictory to the group. Now, a few months ago, um, Manda and I watched a film with some friends. It's a 1950s film, black and white, starring Henry Fonda. Can anybody remember Henry Fonda? And it was called 12 Angry Men. And it's a wonderful film about a, a courtroom scene when the, the 12 men who, who are part of the, um, obviously making the decision on this young man's future, this young man has been accused of murdering his father-in-law, who was a drunk and, and was a very brutal man. Um, and they're the jury. And the whole film is, 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 is filmed in the back room area of the courtroom and they and they go into after they've been in the court they go into the room and 11 men almost immediately all view him as guilty and they're going around the table with a show of hands guilty 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 and then one man of course Henry Fonda challenges the decision and begins to question and the purpose of the film is to help people to understand the psychology of being isolated with a view that's contrary to the masses and the difficulty that creates and the strength that one needs to stand firm under challenge. And of course, over the course of the film, others begin to listen to what he has to say. Their views begin to soften and they begin to question their own initial decision of life and ultimately 
the boy is acquitted of the, um, of the accusations. Now, I think our journey with this is much the same. We start off with a stance. We're going to stand firm. We've come to know Christ. We're going to give this message to the world. But often the world doesn't want to hear. And it's so easy to diminish our own decision and to put our hand back down and say, okay, then we'll go with the world again. But if we stay convicted, if we stay true to God, if we stay living close to him in the truth, people begin to soften. Because this message, the reason that this works is because this message is the message of God. It's the, it's the salvation story. It's, it's going to allow the world to go back to how it should be. You know, it's not, we're not here just to tell a nice tale. We're here to allow people to meet God, to encounter with God, to live with joy in their hearts, to live a peaceful life, to live a life that allows them to affect other people in a positive way. So it's a message that is powerful and that works. And we have to have the belief that Christ with us will allow people to see that. People's hearts will soften if, they, if you continue to live the way you live. And the joy of seeing somebody come to Christ, somebody that you know, somebody that you've encountered in your life, the joy of you seeing a life transformed is something else. You know, gone is the personal relationship and, and, and the, the, the joy of our personal salvation. That's good. But to see somebody else come to Christ, how much greater is that? To know that God has given us the opportunity to do that to share this story with others, and to see their lives transformed. And that's what the Great Commission to me is all about. Not being part of the gang is, is hard, but you have to remember who you are. You have to remember what God says of you. God calls us all children of Christ. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are the apple of his eye. We are his treasured possession. Remember that. And when people challenge, remember what your father says of you. And carry that through. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. When you struggle to rationalize what people say to you and what the world will challenge you with, lean not to your own understanding. Live in faith and trust in the message of Christ and all will be well. Final point, and I've got two minutes left. The end of the scripture, if you can put the scripture back up, Rach, please. Uh, then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. The other wonderful part of the message of the, the Great Commission is, of course, we're not alone. Christ didn't put this onto the disciples and say, I'm off, lads. Christ physically disappeared, but we were gifted with the Holy Spirit. Christ is never leaving us. God never leaves us. He remains within us always. Now, this is important because without that... We're back to what I said earlier where we have to figure out how to convince people to become followers of Christ. And that's not what we're here to do. This isn't a sales pitch to people. 
so that they can weigh up the, the pros and cons and make a decision that, okay, I buy into what you've said to me. I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus, God, is living. He exists today just as he did then. He gave us the Holy Spirit, the power force that's within us, the spark that ignites us, and that he's with us always. So we have that conviction, that knowledge, as I do today, standing here, that the Holy Spirit empowers me. He convicts me. He convinces me to do what I do in my life. He convinces me that when I see people in difficulty, when I see injustice, that I can't stand by and do nothing about it. That I have to try in my failed way to do what I can. And we do fail at times. But the glory of the message is by God's mercy, picks us up again, and his love for us does not diminish one iota. We go on and we try again. We go on and we try again. But it's the living God within us that is the power source within us all. Once Christ had left the earth, that I said earlier, that the disciples were followers of Christ. Um, and that relationship changed when Christ left. If you read about the story of the disciples' progress after, they'd gone through their period of training. Just as an athlete, a young athlete, is trained by a coach. And then Christ released them with the message. And with the Holy Spirit within them, just as the runner then runs freely, the disciples ran freely. They had a conviction that they didn't have when they were followers. They now became leaders. And that's what all of us become when we become Christians. We take on a responsibility no longer to isolate ourselves in our own world, but to lead for Christ. The early Christians were known as that because the translation of Christian is little Christ. They were Christ-like in how they lived, in how they spoke, in how they acted. And the Great Commission commands us all to be what we purport to be, Christians, little Christs, following his way, but empowered with his message, with the Holy Spirit within us, to live in such a way that we engage with the world that we bring more people as we are here today to know Christ. To be active in our faith. Not just, as I say, to speak of him, but to live for him. In all that we do, immerse totally in his presence, sharing this experience we have of life with everyone that we meet. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for the message of Christ. I thank you that you've empowered us, that when we get to know you and we go through this personal change, that you command us to do something, that it doesn't end there, that it's not a self-satisfying faith that we have. It's a faith that demands that we share because to live in your image, Lord, 
We have to be full, full of conviction, compassion, object to injustice within a world, demonstrate the joy that you can bring into our lives, Lord, every day, the joy that you give us, the peace that we can live with by being followers of you, God. Let us be active in our faith. Let us not fear. Let us not consider the consequences of shame or embarrassment. Let us live freely, Lord, for you, God. Let us immerse ourselves in your presence, Lord, every day, trusting in you, living for you, experiencing your joy again and again, and the joy of seeing others come to Christ, those that are lost and in darkness, that we can find them, Lord, we can show them something of you and witness a transformation in people. Thank you, God. Thank you for your purpose in the Great Commission.